Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Good morning. How are we doing? (laughs) It is good to be here this morning. I hope you have had a great week so far. Um, I would like to, if I, if I could, I didn't ask for permission, but I still am going to do it anyways. Um, it is great to see the McMasters here in the house this morning. Um, yeah, that, that deserves an applause for those who know Mike and Cindy. Um, and I'll say this too, Cindy is a year cancer free, right? I have that correct? Um, beautiful thing. Um, so, so not only do we have a reason to thank the Lord for being good to us through his son Jesus, he still doesn't forget about us in every battle that we fight in our lives. So that is worthy of praise um, for sure. So we're thankful. It is great to see you guys. Man, it is good to be here. Uh, we are going to continue in our series. We will finish this series. The plan is, hopefully to be done uh, at the end of August uh, with Faith Over Failure. Uh, We have been going through the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews um, and going back to the events, the stories of the men and women who are acknowledged in the book of Hebrews as being men and women of faith. Um, And what we realize as we walk through this is that although um, it seems like they uh, are attributed to having faith that their events, as they unfold in real time, uh, they seem to struggle, to fail, to make mistakes, and to, at times, fear and doubt. And so what that does for you and I is put us in a position, a place where the Bible meets us where we're at, uh, where we don't have to somehow always be able to muster up faith on our own accord, our own strength, and feel like, like kind of fake it till we make it mentality, but we can trust in that God's faithfulness um, outshines and outshadows our lack of faithfulness, and so that his love continues to pursue us even when we're wandering away, that God being faithful is a great story, not us being faithful. And until you walk through a season of your life where, man, things are tough, uh, sometimes we don't understand or lean into on how beautifully faithful God is, which we're going to see some of that here this morning. Have you ever, have you ever did something out of a kind of Reaction that you kind of regretted, regretted later? No? Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, whether it's you say something, you react in a certain way, you're like, can't believe I just did that. Oh, well, it's done. Can't retract that thing. Well, that happened to me recently. Um, you know, rarely happens. <laughs> uh, but it did recently. Um, I, my wife and I, we went out for coffee. I was dropping my son off uh, at a house, and then I was like, hey, why don't you come with me? We'll get some coffee. And it was like 9 o'clock at night, like coffee, 9 o'clock at night. Some of the, you out there who are coffee diehards, you understand you can drink coffee anytime of night. And so I tell my wife, you want to get coffee? She's like, it's always yes. And so we, uh, we go to Starbucks. I looked up online. I was like, okay, they're open till 10. We can do this. You want to go get coffee? She's like, yeah, let's do this. So we leave. And we go, and, um, and, I, and I read, like, kind of where this, the Starbucks was at that was open. I thought I knew where it was at, and it was open. And so we drop uh, my son off. We go to the Starbucks. It, <laughs> Chris is like, it, Jeremy, it kind of looks closed. I'm like, no, it's open till 10, all right? It's open till 10. We're good. So we get in line, and um, I'm waiting for someone to speak to me through the little, you know, intercom system, and, and no one's saying anything. And then finally, a recording comes on, like a, hey, we are closed 
not open, like whatever the recording, like a recording, it wasn't even a real person. They just like hit play. And, and so I, I reacted in the moment. Like in the moment, I, I said out loud, uh, calmly, it says you're open till 10, right? Like that was my reaction. And my wife looks at me and, and then all of a sudden, I hear from the intercom, um, excuse me, that's the store down the road. Like she heard me? Like I didn't, I didn't know she was listening. I thought it was just a recording. All of a sudden, I responded in a way that was a little ignorant, like loudly, and she heard what I said. And so I'm like kind of a little worried. I, I, felt, I felt bad. I did for a little bit. I felt a little bad. And, uh, and then she, I, I started to pull away, and I was like, oh, wait. Like which one down the road? Like there are five Starbucks in Grove City. I thought I went to the right one, so I, I asked. I was like, hey, hey excuse me? Which one, <laughs> right? Like she had to tell me and, and, and we figured it out. We got coffee, everything was good. But in the moment I kind of felt bad because I reacted in kind of a response, negative way. Either way, as we drove away, she looked and watched me drive. <laughs> I'm like, sorry. Anyways, I won't go back there. Um, Moses, if you are unfamiliar with him, he actually does something uh, out of a reactionary moment. Uh, does something that uh, some would argue and contend would speed up what it was or change in some ways the course of how things were go going to unfold in the lives of the Israelites as they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. And uh, where we're going to pick up here this morning, if you have your Bibles, is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we finished um, Abraham and Isaac, and then we walked through um, Joseph last week, and, um, and this week we're going to start in the life of Moses. We're going to do this in two weeks, um, uh, just so we can, you know, keep the time down a little bit and get as much out of this as we can. Um, but I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go back to the actual event as it unfolds. Verse 23 of Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So here's what we have so far, is you have the faith of the parents of Moses and then Moses's faith as this thing unfolds. And so for us to get a better grasp on what's going on, we're gonna go all the way back to Exodus. If you would, turn with me, which I apologize back there. Uh, I gave you the wrong scriptures. Yeah, so it's Exodus, not Genesis. We've been in Genesis like for the past 10 weeks, and so that's what I gave you. So everything that said Genesis, you don't have to put it up there. It should be Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to have to turn there. If you don't, take the one from your neighbor. 
<laughs> Exodus chapter one is where I just noticed I made that mistake. My bad. Uh, man, Exodus chapter one. Uh, here's where this happens. Joseph, last week, if you remember, um, got to Egypt. He was put in a prominent position so his family could come over. Family, Abraham being, or I'm of Jacob, <clears throat> they all came over to Egypt. And in this place, um, they now had refuge for a while until they started to outgrow their welcome. And so what we're going to read, I'm just going to give you kind of the background. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 8 and just read on. Um, i got a lot of reading to do, but hopefully I make it all tie together. Here's what it says. Uh, now there arose uh, a new king over Egypt. Hey, Scott, can you turn me down a little bit, please? Thank you. There arose in uh, a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities of Pitom and Ramesses. So, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shapira and the other Pua, I think, Pua, Pua. Anyways, uh, 16, <laughs> what? <laughs> this is how I read the Bible, all right? Leave me alone. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them as on the birth stool, um, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, he, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So that the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, uh, why, why have you done this? And let the male children live. Um, the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Uh, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to a Hebrew, you shall cast into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Um, so if you know the story, the timeline, when Joseph enters into Egypt for refuge for the family and for Israel, as they continue to grow, God's people, who, who, who God called his people, now endured some of the most intense bondage and slavery for the next 400 years. 
Now, where we're picking up on the scene with Moses is close to the end of that 400 years where God's going to deliver them out of uh, Egypt. But during that time, it was intense. They finally were forgotten about by the new regime. They were oppressed. They were made to do hard things, so much to the point where the Pharaoh wanted to eliminate their race completely. And the way to do that is to get rid of the male children. So he tried through the midwives. That didn't work. So then he sends out this edict where he says, take every male child that is born and throw that child into the Nile. That's intense. Like what they had to endure, the sufferings that they had to endure were incredibly intense. And to the the point, if I could, where you start to maybe ask, God, are you, are you here? You still around? Like you, we tend to read this with the only detail that we have without putting it together, thinking, okay, if I have been called by God, his people were here being blessed and favored for a while until now we're being oppressed. I'm going to start to question, we're no longer blessed and favored, we're being oppressed. So God, did we do something wrong? Are you still there? Are you still alive? Are you still with us? And those would be the questions I'd be pondering. When all along, and if you recall, God actually told Abraham that his people would actually be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. They literally told him. After 400 years, they would be set free. God gave the timeline for the oppression. And now they're enduring, enduring this oppression. But God had a plan, a unique one. Uh, we're going to pick it up. In Exodus 2, starting verse 1, this is what it says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, and as Hebrews defines it for us, a beautiful child, and as most would tell us as we work through this theologically, that that meant that they knew there was something different about Moses. Not that he was just beautiful, but he was set apart. There's something unique about Moses. So she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and um, uh, daubed it with um, bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it and saw that it was a child, behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children which the next response would to be throw it back into the Nile. Um, she took pity on him and said, this is the one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call for you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child, nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she had drew him out of the water. What an intense story so far, setting up, interestingly enough, uh, where um, a Levi and Levi woman have this child, Moses, and what they end up doing is realizing this child set apart, and so they hid him until they couldn't hide him any longer, and then they put him in a basket, shipped him off in the Nile, hoping that someone would find him and rescue him. Moses' parents somehow knew that he would play a role in God's redemptive plan. The author of Hebrews, as we have seen already, said that they didn't fear the king's edict, but as we read the story, although they had great faith, I, I imagine, and if you're a parent in the room, will probably understand this, they were still in the moment utterly terrified. The moment they knew they had a son and that they wanted to keep this son, they didn't want their son to be thrown, tossed into the Nile, I, I imagine they were terrified. Can you imagine as a mom or a dad, place your child in a basket on the river, the, the Nile River? I don't know if you know, but I think Nile crocodiles are real. I don't, I don't think it was an easy thing to do. Not only putting your baby in a basket on the Nile, but trusting and hoping that he would be intercepted by someone of mercy and compassion because you couldn't really direct where this basket was going to go. So it would have been incredibly difficult as a parent to watch and trust that God knows what he's doing. Um... I just, want, I just want to take a moment, and if you watched my video this week, um, this is only part of our message for this morning, um, but, I, but I want to deal with this concept of parenting, um, because I think outside of marriage, it's one of the hardest things you ever do. If you're married, you'll say, amen, that's difficult. Parenting is intense and difficult, and, and I would contend that Part of parenting is doing everything you can to love, protect, and encourage your children. Would you agree? Like, like as, a, as a mom, as a dad, your um, goal, your ambition is to love and protect and encourage your children. Then, after you have done everything you can possibly do, you have to step back and trust that God knows what he's doing. Um, meaning, in Moses' life, two times, this mother had to step back and trust that God, or that his, their son was trusted in the hands of God. The first time as a baby, put in a basket, sent away, and through God's graciousness, the mom was brought back into the picture to nurse the child until the child was at a certain age, where then she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter to be released again. And as a mother, to trust that this son was going to be cared for, provided for, taken care of, she had to trust that God knew what he was doing. Uh, and so as parents, you get to a certain spot 
Lord, you have to step back and trust that our kids are worthy to be trusted in the hands of God. Um, so I have, I have two questions for parents. Here's the first one. Are we doing everything we can to love and encourage our children towards Jesus? Because, because I think that matters. We want to be parents who love and encourage and support and protect our kids. But the question is, are we doing everything we can to love them and encourage them towards Jesus so that, second question, when we step back and trust them with God, our children will know and understand God's heartbeat already because they've watched us parent our children within the heartbeat of God already. This is hard. To me, the hardest thing we do, because listen, um, and as I wrote this down, as it convicted me, I knew it's not the most popular thing. So I'll say it this way. Um, raising good children, great athletes, children with high moral standards, well-educated, children who despise injustice, or children who believe in and use their voice is not enough. Good children divorced from knowing and loving Jesus still ends badly. It's the hardest thing that our culture has deceived us with, in my opinion. Um, at the end, we think that our parenting is to create good, moral, upstanding children. You know, our, our goal in parenting, our job, our mandate with the kids that are on lean to us by God is to invest spiritually so that in the end there's a spiritual return from that investment. That, that, that my number one obligation as a father is to instill in the hearts and minds of my children a love for, an understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and the plan that they have and the purpose they have for for them. Um, like Pharaoh was attempting to devour the Israelites by killing off their babies, listen, so is every culture trying to separate our kids from truly knowing who Jesus is. Um, and unfortunately, our culture does it passively by distracting parents and kids with good things that ultimately keep kids from Jesus. And that's what makes it hard. Um, I, I find it interesting, this text, um, that the mother of Moses, who knew his, their child was set apart twice, had to completely and utterly depend on God to protect her child. So it makes me wonder what their conversations were like. As she had that child for the years that she had him to, to wean him off, to deliver him back, I wonder what those conversations were like. I, I wonder if she constantly whispered into his ears as she was nursing him that God has a plan for you, a purpose for you. You just need to depend and trust on him and in him that you need to know. 
that God is faithful. And then does that walk and delivers, delivers the child back to Pharaoh's daughter. I believe that Moses' parents exemplify um, what the author has already talked about in Hebrews 10. That there's a confidence that we have, an anchor that we have that's found in Jesus alone. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Next slide. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's interesting that that's the text right before Hebrews 11 opens up. This concept of not shrinking back, but having this confidence as in displayed with Moses' parents. But we need to, to read on. Look at verse 11. One day... When Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sands. When he went out the next day, Behold, he saw two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and sought. Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I wonder, I wonder what his thought process is when he sat down by a well. I wonder if he was contemplating everything he just lost. Everything has just occurred. Like how his life came to an abrupt stop the moment he killed this Egyptian. I don't know what he was thinking about, but it's interesting that before we go on to the next text, that it says he sat down by a well. And I know when I come to a place where I sit down, where no one else is around, it causes me to contemplate and think about my life and my decisions and my choices and where I am going. Moses had something burning inside of him. And as he looked around, he saw his people suffering. And it began to bother him more and more, so much so they began to hate the injustice that was occurring. However, he didn't know necessarily how to respond or react to it yet. So his natural inclination, his natural reaction was to kill this Egyptian. So he does it. He killed one of the ones who allowed him to live above the slavery. He, he killed one of his own, meaning one of the ones who raised and accepted him as an outsider, now as an insider, to enjoy the pleasures Egypt had to offer. This reaction jeopardized everything Moses had. 
Everything. His course of life changed forever now. And once Moses realizes that what he did is now known, look what verse 14 says. It's going to come up later. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And then he fled from Egypt. Had nowhere to go. Didn't know what to do. Probably recalling in his mind, God has a plan for me. That's what my mom told me. I have a purpose. I was set apart. There's a reason why. Was the reason so that I would kill this one guy and things would change? Because it seems like the only thing that's changed so far is nothing else but me and my circumstances. And he is gone. So if you would, I want to flip back to Hebrews because I think that the writer of Hebrews gives us some insights that I want to unpack for us and then we will, we will be done. I don't, I don't have many. I think just five or six. It won't take us long. Back to Hebrews. One second turn there. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, 24 reads this way. 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us a few things. The first thing is this. It seems like as Moses grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Almost like he knew he didn't fit in. Almost like he knew he was created and called for something different. There was something going on, tension that he was living in, that he knew that he was not in the place he was supposed to be. That this was not my mom. This is not my place. And there's something going on that caused a stirring within him to the point it came to his climactic end when he took the life of this Egyptian. But he refused. I'm not Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know how that played out. I don't know if it created more tension. But for him, he refused, according to the author of Hebrews, refused to be called the, or the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it also says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Did, did you see it? Like it came to the point in Moses' life where he realized everything Egypt had to offer fell short. That Egypt wasn't giving us what we need, wasn't giving us what we needed. And so for him, he's like, here's my decision. I'm going to choose to be mistreated with my people than the fleeting pleasures of sin. I remember um, when I was a youth pastor, I called up a friend of mine. I say, man, I just, I just read this text in Hebrews 11, and, uh, and, and it confused me for a moment. Because it seems like what Hebrews 11 is telling me is that Moses chose to be in a life of suffering as opposed to a life of wealth and pleasure, and excitement and fun. And so now I'm supposed to stand in front of teenagers who live their lives in a way of fun, enjoyment for the moment. 
And I'm supposed to tell them, hey, here's what's better. Follow Jesus. Here's what it brings you. Suffering, difficulty, trials. Don't go this way. I know it's pleasurable and fun and excitement. Go this way. You know how hard that is? To tell teenagers that? And then, and then I realized we as adults have the same problem. That the biggest issue, and I love the way Hebrews defines it for you and I. The way Hebrews defines sin is both pleasurable and fleeting. If anyone stands before you and tells you sin is terrible and not fun, don't listen to them. Because sin is enticing because it is fun. It is exciting. It creates within us a risk, a longing, an ache to pursue things that seem to be a bit dangerous or on the edge. And so what Hebrews tells us is, listen, this is pleasurable. It wouldn't be an entrapment if it wasn't. But it's also fleeting, meaning it never satisfies. Meaning, no matter what it is you chase, which we have dealt a lot with, even in our series so far, whatever it is you chase, relationships, status, sex, drugs, alcohol, work, any, all of that, in the end, doesn't satisfy the soul. The only one who truly satisfies the soul is Jesus. And sometimes until you've been stripped of everything else, we don't get it. If you've ever walked through a season where everything else is ripped from you, you're like, the only thing I have on to hang on, the only thing I can hang on to, or if I can say this, the only one who's actually hanging on to me is God. Everything else is fleeting. And so for Moses, he gets to a point in his life where he says, listen, here's what I want. I want to suffer with my people instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's crazy because it seems like following God for Moses led him away from wealth, status, and prominence, prominence into suffering, struggle, and challenges. Because let's be honest, Moses' life from this point forward is not defined as easy. He's the first megachurch pastor and all he deals with is complaining. <laughs> like, like he leads a multitude of church people and he deals with the burdens of what it takes to lead a multitude. Not only that, but to get out of Egypt, they had to endure the plagues, all except for the one at the end. And so things for Moses, making this decision was not, was not easy. Moses' trust that the blessing offered to Abraham that would extend to Israel and to all the nations was more valuable than anything Egypt had to offer. Jesus, listen, it's why, it's why we have this on the stage. Jesus is our price. He's our greatest treasure. Like, it's not heaven. It's, it's, it's not to escape hell. Jesus is our price. It's, 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 why, it's why when going back to parenting, we want to parent towards the price. We want the price to be like maybe a, a, a secondary option. But this is what's most valuable. There's no other price greater than Jesus. There's nothing else greater than Jesus. Nothing satisfies the soul outside of Jesus. 
And people live their lives turning to, running to so many other things that keep them entertained for a while, but eventually will fail. Or what's more terrifying, will keep you distracted until you take your last breath. And I'm here to plead. Jesus is the prize. He's the treasure. He's the thing that your heart's been stirring for. My, my third thing that Hebrews 11 tells us is that Moses considered the reproach of Christ has greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Egypt. Man, Egypt. This is a massive statement full of implications that will help build out what we would call right theology. Um, here's why. It's important to know it wasn't a mix-up that Moses considered the reproach of Christ. Of Christ. Well, um, here's the problem. Uh, Moses lived some 1,500 years before Jesus. Yet Hebrews tells us that the reason why Moses made the decisions he made is because he was considering the reproach of Christ. But he lived 1,500 years before Christ. So how do we kind of reconcile these two things? The first way is that everything, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. He's the focal point, the main objective, the greatest reward. Moses knew that redemption was coming through the Messiah. He knew that. There was something in the heart and the mind and the revelation that God gave Moses that he knew that there was redemption coming through the Messiah and that Moses wasn't the Messiah, but he was the one to help direct people to who the Messiah would be. And so he lived his life in that way. He was very much aware that if God promises redemption and reconciliation, he will always deliver. Therefore, Moses kept his eyes on Christ by trusting in the promises of God. Um, Jesus is the reward that Moses was fixated on. Uh, he was the prize that all the faithful men of old were pursuing. Meaning when God told Abraham that families of the earth will be blessed through him, God didn't mean that Abraham's generations of families would have health, wealth, and power, but that through the line of Abraham would come the Messiah who will offer true reconciliation and for all. So the promise, the reward has always been and will always be Jesus. As they navigated this, uh, in Galatians 3, it'll go up on the screen for you. Galatians 3, 29, it says it this way. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, connecting everything. It's crazy to me that the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. The entire New Testament reveals Jesus. And churches across the world neglect Jesus. There's nothing greater that can be said. No name worthy of being sung about than Jesus. 
Um, Moses didn't just consider Christ, uh, but also the reproach of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, meaning Moses chose the pathway of suffering by trusting in Christ over the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. I, I think most, I don't know, maybe I'm judgmental at times. I think most of us would just kind of ride out everything that Egypt had to offer. Maybe feel bad for like the people, but maybe ride it out. Try to deal with it in a calm way. Because similar to the reoccurring theme of Egypt in the Old Testament, which represents the very thing we run back to. If you don't know this, when you read through Genesis and Exodus, Egypt meant the thing that we go back to, the thing that we think is going to satisfy us that we run back to. And for us, I think sometimes we want to stay in Egypt because being outside of Egypt is scary, terrifying, and can hurt. And for Moses, he says, listen, I would rather suffer with my people, suffer the reproach of Christ than to be in Egypt where things are fleeting. And so this is where he was at. Even Jesus tells us, says, um, the way to me is narrow. It's not easy to find, and it's not always easy to walk. Following Jesus means that you will receive an inheritance you don't deserve. Therefore, any pain and suffering here on earth can be endured by looking to Jesus. Because you have a reward and an inheritance undeserving. Um, because Christianity has been made something into something it's not, let me, let me just give you a couple of scriptures for a moment. Um, because I, I think the way it's presented oftentimes is if you give your life to Jesus, you're going to frolic in a field of daisies the rest of your life. Things are going to go well for you. Your marriage will be restored. Your health will be back to normal, whatever that would look like. You might get wealthy. Like the way it's presented is come to Jesus and all good things will happen. We don't see that in the life of Moses. And if you want to argue that Moses is Old Testament, we have it here in Hebrews 11 that it seems like the choice was leave health and wealth into the reproach and suffering of Jesus. But with that, let me give you just two other scriptures that kind of underpin this. Here's the first one. It's going to go up on the screen. 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Sounds difficult. I don't, I don't know like what the Greek word is behind persecuted. Doesn't sound fun. I do know what the Greek word is behind all. It means all. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. You want to pursue a godly life? Guess what's around the corner? Possibly pain. Like this is not a popular verse. In Timothy, we have Paul telling Timothy, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're young, you're you know, fiery in your faith, but you're young. Here's what you need to know. Life hurts, and as it hurts, here's what happens. You pursue godliness, and then what's going to happen is that people are going to try and trip you up. They're going to hurt you. They're going to say bad things about you. They're going to cause pain to come into your life. And on top of that, the enemy is going to be roaring around like a crazy lion looking to devour you. So if you choose this way, just know Jesus as your reward will never leave you nor abandon you and he will be the greatest thing you have ever received. But you'll tend to walk out in some of the 
most difficult pathways possible. Could be, could happen. So Paul says it this way for us in Romans. Go up on the screen. I think it's Romans 8, 18. It says this, for I consider that the sufferings, whatever those are, we don't know what they are. They're kind of ambiguous here. Just sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Which I think this verse underpins exactly Moses' decision. It's like there is no suffering, no suffering that I can't endure for the sake of Jesus. Um, sounds great, but it will be very difficult. Let me, let me explain it this way. I, I do, do a lot of marriages um, and stand before people and do the vows. And the one thing I love about the vows is um, oftentimes we lie. <laughs> Meaning it's often, it's, it's like singing worship songs. We put songs up here uh, where we tell God how much we love him and pursue him as we sing it. We already know we're not, you know what I mean? Like, like we just, this is just some of the formalities that we do. It's part of us being hypocrites. Everyone else in this room, hypocrites. Unless you know, we're all in the same book. Got it? With that, there's this part, my wife and I talk about this often, um, where it says, for better or for, has it been a while? Okay, let me, let me, for better or, yeah, okay. So here's the thing. Um, we're excited for how better better is going to be. Depending on where you start out in this thing, you're like, for better. Can't wait for better. Whatever that looks like. Here's the thing. We never, when we even say it, for worse, worse always has a line drawn in the sand. Always. We'll say for worse, but we never anticipate how worse worse is. And so when we say it, it it's what you're supposed to do. For better, I'm with you in the worst times. Well, unless this or this. You know what? Can we retract that a little bit and say for most bad times? Because we don't, when we say worse, we don't mean worse. And so here's what happens. We say a thing like this, like I'll endure anything until that anything comes. And you're like, you know what? This isn't what I thought. <laughs> it, it's why in the parable of the weeds, the persecution of this world sucks the life, the joy that someone first had of Christ in their lives because it gets difficult and it gets hard. It's not what you thought it would be. And so it's easy to walk away because it's not where you thought it would be. Moses is telling us here that he chose suffering to walk in this. Paul's underscoring that, that suffering, to live a godly life is worthy of being persecuted. All of these things happen. My, my last thing, I'm going to conclude with this. This is what's interesting to me because I find it fascinating. We'll see if you do as well. Verse 27 says this. By faith, Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured a, uh, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Um, here's my problem. It's conflicting with the event. Do you remember? Okay. Let me hold on. 
Let me get, let me go back here. Uh, here's what we got. Here's what it says. Real event. I'm almost done. Hang on. Then Moses, verse 14 of chapter two. Then Moses was afraid. Now, here's what I do know. I do know Moses is the one who probably wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. <laughs> All right, so he wrote it. He, he's writing this down. He knows firsthand. I was terrified. Maybe the Hebrew, the, the writer of Hebrews didn't have a conversation with Moses prior to this because he says Moses left not afraid. Nope, nope, pretty much says here. Moses was afraid. And so what do you do when it seems like two verses are conflicting? Well, we don't say that one's right and one's wrong. We have to say, because it's God's word, they're both right. So now we got to reconcile that. Why does the book of Hebrews, in underscoring an overview of Moses' faith, say that he left unafraid when it clearly states that he left afraid. Here's why. If I could, faith always trumps the scales. Moses was not a product of his worst moments. Neither are we. We're not identified as our worst moments. In fact, faith changes everything. God doesn't define us based on our worst moments. So when God's speaking to the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself to pin down the event that happened back in Exodus, he's letting the writer know, yeah, he might have been afraid, but that's, what's not, that's not what's going to define him. What's going to define him is that he was a man of faith. So it's amazing to me that God, in inspiring the writer here, says, write it this way. Was Moses afraid in that very moment? I don't know. Put yourself there. You just killed a dude. Would you be afraid? Okay, let me. You just killed a man and it's found out. Would you be afraid? Absolutely. If you wouldn't, we need to talk later. Just meet me over in the corner. We gotta. Anyways, we'd be afraid in the moment. He was absolutely afraid. Who wouldn't be? But was his life defined by fear? Not at all. Um, even through, even though throughout his life he had moments of fear, his faith in God, and more importantly, God's faithfulness to him, overshadowed those moments of fear. I am thankful thankful that God's faithfulness overshadows my lack of faith. Maybe that's what it means when he says, um, find a refuge in his wings. Um, our righteousness, 
and what defines us is not determined by the sum of all of our highs and lows, but by the sum of Jesus. I don't know about you, but you ever have those moments where you think about everything you have done, all those moments, highs and lows, fill your life with regret and frustration. And you're like, wonder how I got here again. The good news is all of those thoughts that are flooding, our righteousness is not determined by our highs and lows, but it's always been and will always be determined by the sum of Jesus. The reason I know this is um, not one of us here in this room has done anything worthy to be called a child of God. Let me me do it this way. Raise your hand if you believe you deserve the title child of God. Oh, none of us do. There is nothing we have done to warrant being his child. Everything we have done warrants us being his enemy, but not his child. Yeah, because of our faith in Jesus, the record of wrongs that stood before us were dismissed and we are welcomed into his family, defined now as being his children. So every one of us in this room would confess, I don't deserve this, but will stand in gratefulness for being accepted because of his grace and mercy. This is what it means to be a man or a woman of faith. Keeping your eyes fixated on Jesus and when your eyes move off of him and you find yourselves in the weeds again, you know that God doesn't abandon his children. And there is nothing that you can do that will cause God to love you more. And there's nothing that you can do that will cause him to love you less. The good news is his love is centered on the perfect final work of Jesus. And your faith in that changes everything. You go from being an orphan to a child, from darkness to light, from dead to alive. It changes everything. And so... Even in moments of fear, we can say that we have no fear because our faith trumps the scales. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to end in a song. I think it's fitting for the conclusion here. We're going we're gonna to sing this together. Um, but as we do at any time, to my left and to my right, as the house lights go off, we're going to have lights on to left and right. People are going to come up to the corners. If you, if you would like prayer for anything, we have people who want to pray with you. Maybe you've had a hard time reconciling some of the fear and difficulty in your life. Maybe you have some temptation that's been overtaking you and you want prayer. Maybe, maybe you need someone to help pray with you for your children. Or maybe, maybe you need to ask God to give you the courage to start to love your children towards Jesus more than anything else. I don't know what it is. Maybe you just need to come forward and kneel and pray or stay at your table and pray. We want this time, this opportunity to be for you to engage in the heartbeat of God, whatever that looks like for you.
I'm going to pray. And as I do that, feel free, sing, praise, pray, whatever you feel led to do. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you do. I, I thank you for this text that doesn't define Moses as a man who is riddled with fear, but as a man who navigated life in moments of fear, but you don't define him as that. Th thank you for calling us your children, although we don't deserve it. Father, as we stand and sing, let it be from a place of gratefulness, of gratitude, of saying thank you for all that you have done and for all that you are doing. Have your way in the hearts and minds of those in this room. And as we sing this song, please reveal more of who you are to us. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.